Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting Friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local. Coming up, Lab and I recap a busy news week, both inside and outside of the ropes. Welcome to the Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. Callaway is excited to announce Tyler McCumber has joined their staff. Like John Rahm, who joined the staff last week in Maui, McCumber will be wearing Travis Matthew gear in the bag. He'll have the lower spinning version of the much talked about prototype driver, Maverick Fairway Woods, Apex, Muscleback Irons, Jaws, MT Vibe Wedges, Chrome Soft X Golf Ball, and he'll also be working his way into an Odyssey putter. Tyler will be making his 2021 debut this week at the Sony Open. Lav, as I said, it was a busy week, both on and off the golf course. Let's start off the golf course with news. The PGA of America announced light Sunday that the 2022 PGA Championship will not be played at Trump National Golf Club in Bedminster, New Jersey, in response to last week's deadly attack on the U.S. Capitol by pro-Trump protesters. PG of America CEO Seth Wall in an interview with the Associated Press said, quote, the damage of holding the championship could have been irreparable to the PGA of America. The RNA also responded to the deadly attack on the Capitol with a statement on Monday reiterating, among other things, that there are, quote, no plans to stage any of our championships at Turnberry, which is owned by Donald Trump, in the foreseeable future, and that the open, quote, will not return until we are convinced that the focus will be on the championship, the players, the course itself, and we do not believe that is achievable in the current circumstances. Turnberry has hosted four Open Championships, but none since 2009. All right, there's a lot to, a lot to impact there, Lav. Uh, you wrote about this today on GolfChannel.com. What are your thoughts? Well, I think, first of all, um, these decisions, both by the PGA of America and eventually the, the RNA on Monday morning, they were inevitable ever since President Trump uh, helped inside a riot at the Capitol. And I just think at, at this moment in particular, and it's been kind of this way for the past four, four to five years, being associated with the Trump brand is, is toxic, both reputationally and also in a revenue sense. And, and these major championships are big business for both the PGA of America and the RNA. And so we've sort of seen this shifting over the past couple of years. I know probably some, some folks are, have said this is long overdue, but we have seen golf sort of gently move away from Trump. Of course, the PGA of America in 2015, they left the grand slam of golf in, in, in LA uh, after Trump made some disparaging remarks against uh, Mexican immigrants. We've seen the PGA Tour shift the World Golf Championship event away from Doral to Mexico when they had some trouble finding 
a title sponsor. As you mentioned, RNA hasn't been to Turnberry ever since Trump took over the property in 2014. You and I have both played that golf course. It is one of the very best courses, arguably the best in the open road. And now they're saying it's not going to be staging an open for the foreseeable future until some circumstances change, i.e. Trump selling his golf club. And so, you know, you know, to me, Donald Trump has, has craved the validation of hosting a men's major championship. He's hosted the senior major. He's hosted a women's major has not yet hosted the best male players in the world. And I think this stinging rebuke from the world of golf might actually wound him more than, than losing the election, because this is something that he has, he has craved for, for decades. Well, and toxic was a good word for you to use on that one, simply because I think when you look of how this has unfolded really since Trump went into office and and before he went into office and you and I have talked about this before he was very much involved in golf I mean we saw him on a regular basis I I remember the zoo at Doral right after he had announced his run for the White House and him landing in the helicopter and holding an impromptu press conference essentially in the middle of the practice range so he whenever he was done with his time in the White House he was coming back to golf I think we all assumed that and this is, is going to be a blow to him because they have made it perfectly clear, uh, all of the powers that be in golf, that he's no longer welcome, particularly after what happened last week. And you can certainly understand it. And you're right. There's probably a lot of people both inside and outside of the game who will look at this and ask what took so long. Well, it, it took something like what happened last week that was historic and, and terrifying and all of the things that you can come up to call it for this to happen. That being said, I, I don't. I can imagine that this push is going to continue for years and years and years. We know Donald Trump well enough. He's not going to give up on this front. Now, I didn't think that we would ever see Turnberry back into the rotation. I mean, when it comes to the RNA, when it comes to our friends across the pond in the UK, they have dug in their heels on this one. Now, how this plays out, and we're probably going to see this over the next few weeks for the World Golf Championship, because I'm not 100% sure that that event that moved out of Doral and move to Mexico City is going to be able to stay in Mexico City for the foreseeable future. So does that bring Trump Doral back into the conversation? I can't imagine it would, considering, again, to use your word toxic, but it will be interesting. We're not done with this conversation, and that's sort of the problem that stems from all of this, right? I mean, it's identity politics and how people take it personal to the point that they're willing to attack the U.S. Capitol and do the things they did last week, and I just hate to see that drawn into golf. Yeah, I think we're years, if not decades away from from a a Trump golf property ever hosting a a tournament of significance. It's just it's it's too toxic of a presence um, and and they need to move forward. I think Turnberry could eventually get back in the Rota, but it's going to have to involve him uh, selling that golf club. Now, what what this departure does do in what was a, a, a very terse statement that the PGA of America released on Sunday and not included in that statement was no replacement venue announced for next year's PGA championship. What are your thoughts on where you think this could go and where do you think this should go for May, 2022? Well, I think where it could go is is interesting because I, I actually, in the years since the move to May, I've come around on the idea. I just think holding it in May sort of opens up a lot of more options. And I was kind of on the other side of the fence. I thought moving it to May would, would cut them off from the classic golf courses of the North. And, and it, that might be the case, but it seems to me there are so many more viable options that we can sit here and we can talk about. One of the ones that immediately comes to mind is Harding Park. I thoroughly enjoyed We just had one there. No, I, I totally agree with you. And 
I, but there, it will be a year separated. So I would not have a hard part, hard a problem with that. And simply because Harding Park now finds itself in the position to not have anybody. I mean, when the, when the music stopped, they did not have a chair to sit in. They were supposed to have the President's Cup and that moved to Medina. They were supposed to get a PGA Tour event that was going to be hosted by Steph Curry. And that didn't work out. That, that seems to be going in the way of the Memorial Tournament. And so now Harding Park, which is a great venue. I mean, even without fans last year, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I could see a shift back to there. I could see an early move to go to Quail Hollow. I mean, I think the, the powers that be at Quail Hollow have made it perfectly clear that they are constantly ready to host the biggest events. And that would be an easy move for Johnny Harris and, and, and Charlotte. Oh, so I've seen, I've seen some Harding Park rumors, which would be two PGAs in a three-year span. I've seen some Bethpage Black rumors, which would be uh, two PGAs in a four-year span. Uh, other courses that have been bandied about, Southern Hills, Last hosted a PGA Championship in 07 that Tiger won, of course. They're on the books for 2030, a 23-year gap for what is a, a, a pretty storied venue. Uh, seems too long, in my opinion. Liberty National has been tossed around. Uh, some courses that I'd like to see, if, if we're going into the, the, the should category of this discussion, I'd we're love to see Riviera. Here, right? So we're going to just drift off into fantasy nope. land. I'm curious where you're Look, going. I'd, I, would, I would love to see Riviera. We'd, when, when Mike Davis spoke last year, I mean, they were a mere 24 hours away from hosting the U.S. Open in December at Riviera as opposed to, to getting it done at Wingfoot in September. I'd love to see the opportunity to have Riviera there uh, before it eventually hosts the Olympics in 20 – what's that, 2028? Yes. I think is when – uh, it's going to be in L.A. So, look, I think Riviera is a great option. That West Coast is always going to be appealing. Bandon Dunes, I thought, was uh, a great venue for the U.S. Amateur. I still think Chambers Bay deserves a chance. I, I know you you disagree wholeheartedly. Um, but with the greens that have been redone, I'd love to see Chambers Bay get another shot at it. Seven years removed. It was a great leader. It's not, no, but it's not my problem Open. with the greens. I mean, you can, any golf club can have agronomic issues. And then certainly All right. it's, in that particular case, I'm forgivable of that. However, I just don't think it was a very good venue for the fans. I mean, you had holes, complete holes that you couldn't see any of the action on. That doesn't make any sense to me. Let's just hope we have fans uh, by the time 2022 rolls around. And I've also seen Rex, uh, a, a ground, a, a, just a groundswell of, of support for Shoal Creek. Uh, obviously that's a, course that's been inextricably linked with exclusionary practices uh it's a different membership now a different club they last hosted uh, the u.s women's open of course won by area jutanagarn in 2018 i think they'd be willing once again to to show off their renovations and show uh, how much progress has been made societally um so those are those are a couple of venues to keep an eye on they're probably just they'll probably just go back to beth page because the pj of america absolutely loves beth page and I think if you look at the history, I think Beth Page usually produces usually what we end up with. Now, the interesting thing here, and and maybe this is part of the announcement coming from Sunday into Monday, how quickly not only did the PG of America move, but also the RNA. You and I both know golf does not move that fast. They're not particularly nimble when it comes to these types of things. And they on this, they did have to move quickly, and I will applaud them and for doing the right thing. However, now they are left with very little runway. Although we're talking about next year's PGA Championship, it's just a little over a year away. At this point, and you need a lot of things in place. You need a lot of infrastructure. You need a lot of people in place, a, a small army to sell the event, to make sure the fans or hopefully we'll have fans by 2022. will will know that this is where they need to come out to. So, yeah, I applaud them for doing this, but it is, it is going to be a task for the PGA of America to pull this off. 
I don't think there's going to be any shortage of, of options. Seth Wan in an interview with the AP said he's had several courses reach out. I don't, I, I think obviously the, the insur- insurrection was uh, the final straw, but this is a, this has been something that the golf columnist Eamon Lynch reported has been bandied about for the last couple of years. So I think they've probably uh, put some feelers out there. I think it's reasonable to expect that they've done so uh, just to see who would possibly be stepping in line. But, but I, I agree with you that, that an announcement does need to be somewhat imminent um, just because there are so many moving pieces that they need to need to develop a plan. And I'm sure we'll, we'll celebrate it. Look, I think they probably got lucky uh, with the weather as good as it was at Bethpage in 2019 when Brooks won, they're going to Oak Hill back in my neighborhood, uh, back in my old neighborhood uh, around Rochester in 2023. Rex, I've, I've played baseball in mid-May and it's been snowing. So you can get some, you can get some freak weather events in, in New York that time of year. I'd love to just see them, see them try something new. I'd love, I'd absolutely love to see Riviera. That was my, that was my number one choice. You, and you are not a hardy person. So I can't imagine seeing you try to play baseball. And I, I use that word specifically, try to play baseball in the snow in May. My fingers were bleeding because the, wow, because the laces yeah. on the baseball get so hard and so sharp that if you try to throw anything, anything with spin, you were, you were ripping the, you were ripping the skin off your finger. So that was, I, that was not enjoyable. And I think I was, I think I was bounced after like two and two thirds. I think I've said this before of you heart of a lion. This one just tough to his <laughs> very core. I, I promise we're going to get to golf, but before we do, there was another situation that came up over the weekend. Justin Thomas during the third round of the century tournament of champions, he missed a putt and he said a homophobic slur after missing the putt. Now, there are a lot of things that went into this, and uh, like you, we've talked about it. I, I had to go and, and see this in context because I do think it's important to take a look at this in context, not just when he did it, how he did it, how he delivered the line, which, just to be perfectly clear, there is no place in golf or society for the word that he used in many, many other words, but specifically that word. The part that really stuck with me was in his interview with Todd Lewis, He was two things, genuinely shocked that he said it, although he didn't try to deny it, but he was genuinely shocked that he said it. And then I don't think that he could have been more honest or more forthright with how that made him feel. And even the next day on Sunday, he talked about, I have to be a better person, that this isn't acceptable. Whatever comes from this, and we can sit, and and I do want to kind of talk about there, there will be consequences and we can kind of compare this to things in the past. Whatever comes from this, though, I truly believe that the hardest part of all of this for Justin Thomas will be him dealing with how disappointed he is in himself. And that's a high bar. Yeah. I thought, I thought JT was appropriately contrite. I think that's the way that I would, I would put it. And I, and I agree with you both after his third round, when, when he was confronted um, with, with the footage and again, after Sunday's final round, which, which he entered Sunday with a, with a chance to win, he was four shots off the lead. He, he had a good chance on Sunday and couldn't get it done. But but he totally owned it, and 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 like you said, he he seemed genuinely horrified, uh, the fact that he made such an egregious mistake, in the heat of the moment. And and look, he's he's vowed to be better as a result. We we've heard that time and time again, uh, when this type of issue has popped up in in golf. I can think just in recent history, Patrick Reed uh, uttered a similar phrase in 2014, I believe it was. Of course, Scott Piercy uh, shared an anti-gay meme. Um, on social media last year and ended up having two sponsors drop him. 
and and look, I'm I'm sure that there are going to be golf fans who who want to hold JT accountable after such a lapse in judgment, and they will. Um, so I think we can only we we shouldn't judge him necessarily by the, the the worst one of the worst moments of his professional career, but but more what he's going to do f- moving forward. Well, and this there will be an element of this will be a trial by social media court, and the unfortunate part, at least for JT on this front, is he is very active on social media, and I don't see him putting Twitter away or putting Snapchat away. I just don't see that in the cards. Instagram, Rex. No one uses Snapchat anymore. Uh, it's the only way I communicate with my children. I think you and I have had this. And, and with me and with me for, for grilling photos. And for grilling photos. Absolutely. It seems like it's the only two things that Snapchat, no offense to Snapchat, is good for. But it, it would almost be a curse that he does have antennas, that he does not let things pass, that he seems to hear everything and seems to, to, to jump in on everything. And you see it on social media. He'll comment on some of the weirdest things that get posted simply because he always seems to be engaged. And on this particular front, I think that's going to sting him and it's going to continue to sting him because there is going to be an element of social media that is going to come after him and come after him relentlessly and not stop, regardless of how contrite and regardless of how honest or dishonest you think his apology may have been. This is all part of living in the modern area. I'm curious what it does to JT, not so much as a player. We all know he's a special player and I don't think this is gonna impact that. But as a person, I would be concerned. In key, key difference this year, as opposed to some of those other incidents, uh, no fans or very few fans on the PGA Tour this season. So that may actually help him focus on golf, focusing on on betterment, and 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 hope that he can learn something positive from this experience. There will be, and you brought up Scott Piercy, and that, that's a very good the two two sponsors that dropped Scott Piercy last year after the homophobic meme that he sent out on social media are Tyless and Footjoy, which are also sponsors of Justin Thomas. And there was a lot of, you know, pushback on social media over the weekend that how is Tyless and Footjoy going to handle this? I have no idea. I will say that it's one thing, which is terrible, but it's one thing to mutter something in the heat of the moment after missing a putt. It is an entirely different thing to cut and paste a meme that is clearly homophobic and clearly offensive and put it on your own social media account. I'll leave it at that, but I do feel like those are two different things. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a key difference. Uh, absolutely. Just the the thought that that goes into it. So I think they're two totally separate scenarios. As, as you mentioned, or as we mentioned, uh, JT did have a chance to win the golf tournament uh, with all this swirling around him, ended up finishing one shot shy of Harris English and Joaquin Neiman, of course, Harris English, uh, winning in a playoff with a birdie on the first playoff hole. And, and I, it's it's a shame because I would have loved Harry, and you and I have both spent a lot of time, go dogs, uh, around Harris English. Um, but the fact that the shot that he hit on the final hole of regulation, an absolutely rifled three iron from 271 to 10 feet, I would have loved to see that shot end up being the decisive stroke, you know, to win by to win by one as opposed to kind of missing it low and having to go into overtime. Uh, with with Neiman Uh, but we've both written this story certainly last year with his remarkable comeback Uh, what what stood out to you with him getting his first win in more than seven plus years I actually had a conversation with his swing coach uh, Justin Parsons about this recently about if you look at last year so in 2019 I don't want to say Harris had fallen off the map but he he lost he didn't even qualify for the playoffs he lost his PGA Tour card he had fallen off the map well, I mean, that's he wasn't in a good place. I will leave it at that. I, I remember talking with Parsons last year about this, though, and how 
really, this was more about, there were some fundamental changes he needed to make to his swing, but this was more about how he addressed the way he played, the way he addressed his job personally, the way he came out and needed to be more professional. He needed to be more organized and he needed to take responsibility. And he did a very good job of that last year. I was amazed when you look at sort of the progression that even got him into Maui. He didn't win. It was only because of the change of the rule for anybody who qualified for Eastlake in last year's tour championship that got him into Maui that put set him up for this really a breakthrough victory, I, I would call it. But it was really how many things he had to overcome. He was one of the COVID kids. He was one of the guys who continued to test positive for COVID. I, I remember following him one afternoon at the Memorial when he was playing by himself in the middle of the field. And it was a loneliness feeling. I mean, it, he had to feel like an outcast. And in this particular case, I even talked to him after that round about after everything you've been through, how difficult is this? And he just said it, it's all part of the bigger process. That Yes, it's difficult, but none of this has been easy. The challenge, and this was the interesting thing talking with Justin Parsons, was maintaining that same focus just to get yourself back on the PGA Tour, to make yourself relevant, relevant again, and to give yourself an opportunity to qualify for the Tour Championship. That same process carried over into, okay, now it's time to win. And we saw that on Sunday at Maui. It was an impressive display. It was. And, and he's he's now up to 17th in the world ranking. That's his uh, career best by far, even better than when he, you know, he first splashed on tour uh, 20. He won, you know, I mean, he won as an amateur uh, on, on what was then the nationwide tour. And he's all the way up to 17th in the world now. But I think even more importantly, and, and Harris mentioned this in his, his, uh, his post-round presser yesterday, he wants to be on that Ryder Cup team this year. And I know it is way too early. And we've got eight or nine months to go. Here we go. But the fact of the matter is Harris English is now eighth in the Ryder Cup standings. And what was really interesting is, is he went out of his way to mention that Captain Steve Stricker is one of his favorite people on the PJ Tour. I don't think he's brown nosing. I don't think he's already sucking up to the captain. I think he genuinely believes it. I think but everybody believes Captain Steve Stricker is one of the best guys on the PGA Tour. I don't think Harris or anyone else is unique in that front. Yes, but I think I think with the interesting dynamic this year, if those feelings are mutual, which I'm guessing that they are, uh, is that if Steve Stricker has six wild card selections, and look, Harris is going to have to continue, continue to play well if he wants to earn one of those six automatic spots. Uh, but if, if Steve Stricker has one has six choices to make and he has a great relationship with Harris English and Harris English has been playing arguably as well as any American over the past 12 to 16 months. Um, it's going to be very interesting. You know, Harris English has not represented an international team uh, on the American side since the 2011 Walker cup team. And so for him to be able to do that at age 31, uh, kind of enjoying this career renaissance, I think would be the, the next step in his progression outside of obviously contending for a major championship. No, and I'll use this as one more soapbox that I continue to do year in and year out, that the Comeback Player of the Year award needs to be returned to the PGA Tour to reward someone like Harris, who, in your words, not mine, had fallen off the planet. He lost his PGA Tour card. He certainly lost his confidence in his game. To be able to do this against a very, very good field, to qualify for last year's tour championship, and even to get into that ridiculously early conversation about the Ryder Cup, which you seemed intent on having, all of those things add up to the comeback player of the year. I'll just let that Why did they, Why did they ever get rid of this? I mean, there's been so many so many great options. Just, I can Stricker, just think in the past three years. Enough, this has all come full circle. Because of Steve Stricker, he won it in back-to-back -back years, but which by definition is, is ridiculous. I get but I mean, the, But I mean, Tiger, Tiger in 18 was a no-brainer. Uh, Brendan Todd in 2019 was a no-brainer. Um, and I think Harris English in 2020 was a no-brainer. So, so now you're on the bandwagon, you and I together. Yeah, right? bring it back.
Bring it back. I, I just got an email. I'm, I want to do this during the podcast. So this is as it happens live. This is from the Golf Riders Association of America. We each get a vote for the male player of the year, the female player of the year, the senior player of the year. All right. I'm going to give I you. Like I, I feel like I should be I should be recused from this because I help you, you know, formulate these ballots. You came up with the list. So I'm going to go ahead and throw them yes. out. I'm going to take your vote and I'm going to give my vote. Ready? So for the male player of the year. Bryson, and this is for 2019 year, obviously. I mean, 2020 year. Obviously. Yeah, 2020. Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, John Rom, JT. Great, great nominees. I mean, whoever came up with those four nominees has really narrowed in at, at the heart of the issue. And the vote is? Obviously, it's DJ. Obviously, DJ. Moving on. Both of us picked DJ. This one's going to be more difficult for me, I have to be honest. Uh, Daniel Kang. Yep. Young Kim. Jin Young yep. Ko. MB Park. Young Kim and Jin Young Ko and MB Park. Uh, tremendous seasons for all of them. Jin Young Ko uh, basically well, didn't more. play on the LPGA in 2020, and yet she came out and, and played tremendously in the very few opportunities that she did have. And of course, won the season finale um, in a million dollars plus. However, I would go with Say Young Kim, uh, won a major championship at the KMK. KPMG, I'll get it out, uh, Women's PGA Championship, and then went back-to-back on her next start. Um, she was tremendous and, and ended up taking LPGA Player of the Year honor. So, Rex, uh, just for your information, you should vote for Say Young Kim for Female Player of the Year. I just did. Uh, and then finally, Senior Player of the Year, Ernie Els, Jim Furyk, Bernard Langer, or Phil Mickelson. This one's interesting because my heart tells me to do something other than what my head's telling me to do. This is... This is a weird one because the seniors barely played and they, they basically just paused their season. They, they, yes, they had a Charles Schwab cup championship, but they, they, they're still spilling over into 2021. Um, so this is a little bit of a weird one. I guess I would probably pick Bernie. I'd probably pick Bernie Langer. What, what are his stats say? Yeah. Uh, had a dozen top 10 finishes and 15 starts uh, that top the money right. list, he, but he only had one victory in March Uh-oh. and uh I know Fury went back to back. Uh, yeah, I don't like that Bernie Langer pick. I, I'm not going with that. Fury went back to back. Phil went back to back. And I, I like Furyk. I mean, Furyk actually. Would you, would you had, pick Ernie? How many how many wins did Ernie have? Um, he had two. Ooh, uh oh. I think ooh. I think you got to pick. I think you got to pick Ernie. I mean, Furyk and Phil were just part time players. All right. I think I would pick uh, Ernie. Well, I'm picking Ernie. Yeah, no, I'm picking Phil. So that, that's submitted. You're picking Phil. That. Phil literally played twice. Uh, Phil literally played, played twice. twice, and uh, I'm looking at this more the impact that he was able to make in those two. I mean, impact. he did more in those impact. two starts than maybe anybody you, in the entire history. We're we're vote we're voting for impact now over over results. So in so in terms I of the player of the year, you need to pick Bryson over DJ because Bryson had a bigger impact. Um. No, no, no. I think the results between those players that we mentioned for the senior award are, are pretty much Phil a didn't win anything of consequence. Two, we're talking about two victories. So Ernie had two victories. Phil had two victories. Yep. I think Furyk yep. had one. Oh, no, Phil had two. Uh, I'm sorry, Furyk had two victories. So they all yep. had the same number of wins. Except Bernie, who had one. Except Bernie only had one. So now we're just splitting hair. So, yes, I feel like Phil made a bigger impact with the same amount of wins and only in he two starts. two events. He wasn't a senior player. 
He wasn't a senior player of the year. He was a part-time was senior, a player, senior of player of the year. Senior player than he was a regular player. Hey, oh. Guarantee yeah. Phil doesn't win that. Uh, well, my, my vote. I guess, I, I guess I'm just. A, I guess I'm just a sheep. You're just a sheep. This conversation is over. We're moving on. Finally, I and I did want to touch on this because I, I was so fascinated by this, and you did a good job of wrapping. I think there was five things in your column on Monday on GolfChannel.com. Yes. Five takeaways of Bryson DeChambeau. But the one takeaway that got me is he set a ceiling. He talked about if he gets his golf ball speed, I think the number was 207 to 210 miles per hour is the actual number that he used, which is very, very specific, which should, should not surprise me when it comes to Bryson. However, he said when he gets to that point, he feels like, okay, that's good enough. Like that, that's where I want to be. That stunned me. He has never struck me as a person that would set a benchmark and get to it and be like, okay, I'm good. I was fascinated by that. So you're right. He did say he wants to consistently touch 205 to 210. Um, and at that point, he can go focus on other parts of his game, which, you know, is probably going to be wedging and putting since that's all he's going to have left. And, um, and we're pointing out that this week or last week on the holes where they had radar, I think he topped out at like 196. Yeah, he was speed. he was somewhere between 195 and 200 ball speed. His uh, club head speed is a is a whopping 135 on the two holes that were measured. Yeah. Um, what to me was most interesting, he said, is that the journey to get to 205 to 210 consistently is probably going to take another year to 18 months. That, that's what Kyle Berkshire, the world log drive champ, who's kind of his workout buddy now, has told him. To me, that's unnecessary. Why would you cost yourself a year and a half of your professional and physical prime in reaching a final stage that, that to us, just or at least to me, seems unnecessary? He's already enjoying a massive ad- advantage off the tee. I mean, his strokes gained last week and what he said wasn't a particularly uh, a great week off the tee for him. He was still gaining six shots on the field off the tee. The difference is that he's basically neglecting the rest of his game. He's giving up so, a shot putting. And so, so yeah. like, he, he can hit 205 to 210 consistently ball speed if he does go to that 48-inch driver, which he's uh, apparently, after two months of testing, is still not ready. Um, to, to me, he should be satisfied with where he is right now, hitting at 350, hitting at 360, swinging out of his shoes. I mean, he's enjoying a 20 mile per hour advantage over the, over the PJ tour average and club head speed. That should be enough. At some point you need to work on your wedges to actually take advantage to, but to actually take advantage of of this massive gain that you have over the rest of the field. You have to, you have to dial in that part of your game. And he said as much after he finished and, and look, he finished 27th in the field and strokes game putting out of 42, I believe was the final number that was in the field that that's what held him back. And he actually owned it on Sunday and said, I needed, I need to spend more time focusing on that in his defense. Kapalua but he also said, not- he also said that the masters and then he, he hold, he hold up for two months chasing more speed. Uh, he's, he's become fascinated by it. There's no doubt about it. The part that got me was he talked about he could not unleash the Kraken, so to speak, uh, at Kapalua because of some of the dog legs. He's not going to have a bigger field than Kapalua all season long. That is as wide open as you can possibly get on the PGA Tour. If you can't unleash it there, then you're trying to work towards distance. That isn't going to do you any good would be my argument, which is kind yeah, of that's, that's That's what I said. I said, if not here, then where? I mean, there's yeah. not that many courses on the PGA Tour that he can just let fly with with reckless abandon. 
I, I don't I know mean, another course. I mean, off the top of my head, there's not another course on tour that has wider fairways. Uh, with wider fairways, absolutely not. Um, I, I think there's, there's other courses on the PGA tour in which he could enjoy an absolute massive advantage off the tee. Uh, Phoenix certainly comes to mind, sure. uh, whistling straights when we get to the, the Ryder cup, he's going to have a huge advantage there, but I mean, most courses have trees and most courses they are going to have thicker rough than what players experienced at Kapalua. And so if, if Kapalua didn't quote fit the model, uh, which is what his, what will phrasing was with the 48 inch driver. I'm not sure there is going to be one. And so the amount of stress and torque that he's going to have to put on his body with a 46 and a half inch driver to reach 205 to 210 consistently, which is five to 10 miles, five to 15 miles an hour greater than what he's doing with his current driver. To me, the, the, the reward isn't Why? there. Yeah. I mean, just well, be, just be satisfied with hitting it. 25 yards further than your your playing partners be satisfied with having an eight iron that goes 205 i he should be satisfied with that and focus on the parts of his game that could really exploit these gains and to me that's wedging and putting because that's all he's going to have left all right before we get out of here i don't want to date this too much but it is monday when we are taping this podcast and obviously the the national football championship is tonight be remiss I did not go to you for your menu for tonight's national championship game. To be honest, I, there's been so much going on this past week. I legit forgot that that was happening. I legit, for, which is, which is shocking because I'm a, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty big college football fan. I seemed, I seemed to lose interest this year. Once Georgia lost to Florida, I gotta, yeah. I gotta admit, although I was, I was pretty excited uh, for the win over Cincinnati. I never thought that, that winning over a team that isn't in the power five conferences could be exciting, but uh, such as the state of, uh, Georgia Bulldogs in 2020. Uh, so my, so my menu, my menu. Um, I haven't even talked to my wife about this because I forgot this is happening. I'm gonna have to get back to you on that. I, yeah, I think I'm gonna have to get back to you. Podcast. Thanks. Appreciate I know. That. I know tomorrow. I know tomorrow. I'm doing barbecue chicken thighs, uh, which is always a hit. And I, and obviously with the wild card playoffs of the weekend, uh, did a smoked chicken, did some skirt steak. Uh, what else did I do? Made some potato skins. Uh, I am Rex eyeing a new smoker and we can get into this next week. Uh, but I am eyeing a new gateway drum smoker. I think you should look it up. Uh, it's basically the Lamborghini of drum smokers. If you know anything you about drum smokers, an ad in the middle of our podcast for a new, if smoker, you know anything you about drum smokers, that? they're actually called ugly drum smokers. Cause you can make them yourself. You can go to the scrap heap and you can make them, but this is the Lamborghini of drum smokers. I know you're kind of a scrappy type of dude. Uh, who probably doesn't have any handy skills. But for me, I like to go with the best of the best. I don't want to have to put this thing together. Uh, and so I've been eyeing them. I've been watching some videos. I've been spending way too much time uh, looking around the house, looking at what I can possibly sell to pay for one of these Lamborghinis. Uh, but Rex, I just want you to know that when I do get it, we're going to need to devote an entire podcast. Maybe it can be during Zurich Classic Week. Uh, maybe it can be during the Rocket Mortgage. But we're, we're going to need to talk about exactly what I can do on this Gateway Drum Smoke. Brian, I cannot apologize enough for even bringing this up. That'll do it for this week's Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. We'll talk to you next Monday. We've all got old stuff that we should toss, but an old 401k? Make sure it keeps working for you. A Fidelity Rollover IRA has no account fees or minimums to open. 
An easy-to-follow rollover process makes it simple to get started in under 15 minutes. Plus, you'll have access to a rollover specialist. Whether you've switched jobs or are just organizing your finances, learn more at fidelity.com slash rollover. Consider all your options and the applicable fees and features of each before moving your retirement assets. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.